So last week we uh, looked at the covenants of the Old Testament. I gave you a handy dandy chart. Hopefully it's handy. I think it's pretty dandy. But uh, if you guys need one of those, let me know sometime and I can get that printed out. Just not right now. (laughs) Did you guys see that uh, Charles Stanley died yesterday? 90 years old. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine just messaged me a little bit ago and said, Ron Hamilton died. Uh, Ron Hamilton <clears throat> has written many of the hymns that we like to sing. I, I've, now I'm not going to think of any off the top of my head. Isn't that how it goes? Let me, uh, we are your church, yes. This is his hymnal uh, that we use, his uh, ministry's hymnal. He was the guy who was Patch the Pirate. It's a kid's ministry, obviously. <laughs> uh, Oh, it doesn't list the titles of the songs, it just lists the numbers, but I don't know if you can see this at all, but name, 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 and then when it gets to Ron Hamilton, it's got like four lines of hymns listed because of how many are in here. Um, oh man, what's, uh, I Stand Redeemed, that was Ron Hamilton, um, just many of the songs we like. So anyway, he passed away too, well my goodness, but uh, they're being promoted, Right? And we're stuck here. But that's what the sermon is about this Sunday, not what uh, this is about. So how about I pray and reorient my own thinking, and then we'll uh, get into this new covenant stuff this evening, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this evening and our time together. We thank you for uh, the children of this church and the time that they get tonight with one of our missionaries. We ask that you would bless that time, that this would be uh, a sweet uh, fellowship for them, and perhaps now would be the time you start laying on one of their hearts or many of their hearts missions, and that one day uh, we could be sending some of our own to go somewhere to preach the gospel, to plant churches, uh, to serve you in, in amazing ways. God, we thank you for our time together here where we can look into your word and consider these covenants that you have made. Help us to remember that these are personal covenants that you have issued, that we would take seriously your words, and that we would seek to understand how it is that you are going to bring this world through history, redeeming people, recreating, all for your glory. God, help us to have that vision tonight as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah... 29, you could go there first. Because the uh, New Covenant is going to be our focus this evening, and the New Covenant is first introduced in Scripture in Jeremiah 31, okay? So that's where we will be eventually. But hopefully last week's lesson with that chart that I gave you helps you to have some stuff in your mind, if you can remember anything from last Wednesday. (laughs) as we come into this study as far as how the new covenant fits into the overall program of God. If you can remember in your mind's eye that chart, if you don't have it with you, there were those covenants that were listed out, and then all the way on the end was the new covenant. It even had like yellow or gold at the top, okay? So this is like the last and biggest covenant that God makes, and it is the covenant through which all the other covenants are realized, okay? It's a very important covenant. And uh, like I said, it was first announced in Jeremiah 31, but it's important that before we look at that, we grasp the context in which it was presented. We have to understand at least a little bit about who Jeremiah was and what Jeremiah was writing about and why Jeremiah was writing uh, before we can understand anything Jeremiah said. Now, that should be pretty obvious, but there are lots of people who go to the Bible without that understanding. They just have a verse here, a verse there. They have no idea who wrote it, why he wrote it, when he wrote it, any of that. And that's not good. That's not, that's not saying you got to go like have a PhD in Bible studies before you can understand the Bible. But we need to respect the Bible, don't we? And respecting the Bible means we have a little bit of context, at least, in which these verses were penned, okay? So uh, this is from Got Questions about the book of Jeremiah, just how they describe the background of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah records the final prophecies to Judah. Who was Judah? Southern kingdom, okay? Two kingdoms in Israel. Northern was called Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. And what had happened to that northern kingdom by now? 
by Assyria. Very good. Okay. So this isn't to the northern kingdom. It's to the southern kingdom. It's the final prophecies that was issued to Judah, warning of oncoming destruction if the nation does not repent. Jeremiah calls out the nation to turn back to God. At the same time, Jeremiah recognizes the inevitability of Judah's destruction due to its unrepentant idolatry and immorality. So you've got the southern kingdom that's hanging on. The Babylonians are coming. The southern kingdom's going to be no more soon. They're going to be taken into captivity. But these are the final prophecies where Jeremiah, on the one hand, is saying, repent, turn. And on the other hand, saying, you're going to be destroyed because you're not repenting, okay? It's a very sad book in that respect. But there are all kinds of amazing promises that God puts into this book to give the nation hope. Because that's what God does, doesn't he? He's faithful and he is kind. And so we see promises in here too. Judah, at this time in their history, was rebelling massively against God. They were worshiping idols and ignoring what God had said. Jeremiah even called Judah a prostitute. Okay, that was his, his terminology for Judah. That's, that's how bad it was. And he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he said it. And their days were numbered. There were just a matter of days before they were going to be taken captive as God was judging them for their sin. So that's the backdrop to the book of Jeremiah in a nutshell. Okay? Always more you can study, but you have to at least have that in your mind as you go to this book. So let's first look at Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14. Here we are leading up to this promise of a new covenant. But uh, let's, let's start in 29, 10 to 14. Would someone read that for us? Rex, go ahead. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have made I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into all right. Well, I'm so glad we're talking about context because there's a verse in that passage that Rex just read that is often used without any context. Which verse number is that? Uh, no, verse number 11. I know the plans I have for you to give uh, you hope and a future, not calamity, but plans for your welfare. And you'll see that slapped across coffee mugs and t-shirts and uh, three ring binders and everywhere. It's just everywhere. How often do people understand the context of that verse when they use it? I would say we'd be safe in saying in the minority amount of the time, okay? I think that's safe, but it would probably be scary if we actually knew. So let's remind ourselves of the context. What is this verse saying? Just, let's just take verse 11. What is this verse saying in light of the context of Jeremiah? Okay, well, specifically, uh, Judah, right. Yeah, yeah. And they will, be, uh, they will be what? I mean, they're being beat up by their enemies now, so in the future, they're going to be what? Yeah, okay. So they will be delivered, you could say. They will have hope. They will have peace. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's a guarantee, for them that Judah will be safe because God is going to deliver them. And according to verse 12, what's, their, what's going to be their response according to verse 12 here when God delivers them? All right. So not only is God going to deliver them, but in response, they're going to call out to God and they're going to be reconciled to God, won't they? Because it says not just that they will seek Him, verse 13, but they will find Him when they search for Him with all their heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. How sweet is that verse? I will be found by you. God putting Himself like in the passive position, even though, of course, He's 
tying all this together through history. He's being sought by Israel. He's being found by Israel. And then what other promise do we have in verse 14? Yes. Their fortunes will be restored. They will be gathered back. And where where are they going to be gathered back to? Yeah, to, to their land, right? And that's kind of what we've been tracing through the Old Testament here, all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, where God says to Abraham, this is the land that belongs to your descendants forever. Gives them the measurements. And so you have these moments in Israel's history where God's reminding them, and it comes up quite a bit. God's reminding them about this land, and here's just another place where he says, you're going to be scattered because of your sin. You're unrepentant. You're going to be disciplined by me. Off you go. But one day, you will be restored. Judah you will be delivered. Okay, that's the big idea in that passage. Any thoughts or questions on that section before we go to chapter 30? Amen. And I thank you for having something to say because I just realized I taught on that without looking at my notes and I have a lot more in my notes. So we can't go to, we can't go to chapter 30 yet because I skipped like seven bullet points. Okay. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I just forgot I had notes. I don't know what happened. <laughs> okay. That happens sometimes. Uh, verse, uh, what is it? Verse uh, 10. Yeah, yeah. The first verse that Rex read for us. Notice too, there was a specific time given for the captivity. I think that's pretty important. God says 70 years, right? They're going into exile for 70 years. Now, that part doesn't really encourage the person who hears it. I was just talking about all the cheery stuff. I skipped the sad part. You know, if you're hearing this when you're, say, 40 years old, maybe 30 years old, you know, feeling like a young guy with energy in Judah, and, you know, it's like, okay, we got this message from a prophet. What's he going to say? Well, 70 years, you're going to be in exile. Nuts. Okay, well, I'm not going to come out of that exile. Okay, Uh, that's just what he heard. So God tells them it's going to be 70 years, and of course it was. But he had given them his word even earlier in uh, Scripture that he would be bringing them back to the land. Because I I was just talking about how God gives them this land, and he, he says, I'm going to bring you back to the land, back to the land, back to the land. That happens all throughout the Old Testament. And with that, he tells them they'll be scattered. He says, because of your sin, I'm going to scatter you out of your land. Remember the Mosaic Covenant, that old covenant, that was given as like a certificate of occupancy for Israel. If they would obey, they could be blessed in the land. But of course, couldn't obey. So they couldn't be blessed in the land. So, boop, scattered. And he talks about this, God does, in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 4, because this was like a pretty amazing thing. Right here, as Moses is giving the law to Israel, he also just tells them the whole big picture here that well, they're going to go to the land, but then they're going to be scattered and then they're going to be brought back later on. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, 27 to 31. Like, as sure as God's commandments are holy, just, and good, we have here in the middle of the law this promise that is just as sure as can be. 27 to 31, who'd like to read that for us of Deuteronomy 4? Who's got it? Okay, uh, Ellie, and then next time Andy will read. Okay. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations, for the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in the tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. All right, so that's a very, very important passage. If you're a person who marks in your Bible... I would say mark that one, section it off. God is here saying many things that are important. Of course, the promise that they will be scattered. 
But just like we were reading in Jeremiah, they will come back and they will seek him and they will find him. But it comes after this distress, the New American Standard says, or tribulation that they will go through. It says in verse 30. And when is that going to happen according to verse 30? Latter days. So he's promising them there will be a special tribulation they will go through and it will be in the end. It'll be in the latter days and they will return and hear God's voice. But this is all happening. They're returning. God's caring for them. God's showing kindness. It's all happening because, verse 31, he does not forget the covenant that he made with the fathers, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made a promise and he's keeping it. This is their land forever and they will be blessed. They will be blessed of God. That's not the only place in Deuteronomy we even see that. If we go to Deuteronomy 30, as we're going back to Jeremiah, stop at Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we'll look at uh, verses 1 through 10 there, where God is saying many of the same things to Israel. Andy, you want to pick up uh, 1 to 5 of Deuteronomy 30? Okay. So we'll take a break in verse, between verses 5 and 6, but we'll go to verse 10. Deuteronomy 30, 1 to 5. Okay, so a lot of the same themes, isn't it, that we just read in Deuteronomy 4. God will bring them back to the land so they might seek Him. And they will. They will seek Him and they will find Him. And so that's uh, just, again, a promise that's certain, a promise that's sure. God is speaking to His nation, Israel, promising them about a scattering, promising them about a coming back and a restoration. I'll read 6 to 10. It says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all His commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand and the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as He rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. So, pretty amazing promise. Their hearts will be circumcised, they will be restored, uh, they will be joined back to the Lord their God, if they obey, and we read about what will happen, and they will obey, God's bringing them back, and they will seek Him, and they will find Him. That's the promise. And so it's an, going to be an amazing restoration that's going to take place. Now, some people will say, some people will look at the narrative of the Old Testament and say, okay, you had these promises in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 29 we were just looking at, and there are other passages too that have this same language. And they say, well, look at what happened. Northern kingdom taken out by Assyria. Southern kingdom taken out by Babylon. There was this exile. There was this captivity. They were scattered. But then after that, they come back. The Persians take over. And remember like King Darius and those guys? Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, those books of the Bible. They come back. And what's Nehemiah doing? They're rebuilding the, the wall. And, and they're looking to rebuild uh, the city of Jerusalem. And they say... That's the restoration God was talking about. They say, see, he brought them back. He was faithful to his word. He brought them back to this land. They were scattered, and then they were brought back. Well, that is one way of interpreting the Old Testament narrative. But as I just read in Deuteronomy 30, what you would have to say, you would have to look at that event and say, at that time, the Lord their God circumcised their hearts 
and the heart of all their descendants to love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul. And the Lord inflicted curses on their enemies, on those who hated them and on those who persecuted them, and they all obeyed the Lord. Is that what we get in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther when we read those books? No, it's not. It's not. And so I handed you uh, that sheet of paper. I handed out a sheet of paper tonight. I actually uh, rattled these off several weeks ago. Eight reasons why Israel's restoration was not fulfilled after the exile. Matthew Waymeyer is a great author, and he put this together. And uh, here are eight huge reasons why that could not have been the fulfillment of what was promised in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and other places. And so you have uh, many reasons here with many scriptures. I'll let you go through those in more detail on your own time, uh, because my time is pretty limited this evening. But I, I think it's much more compelling to say that wasn't the fulfillment. That was perhaps a foreshadowing of the fulfillment. That was God still being kind and gracious to Israel. There's no doubt about that. But to say that was when he circumcised all their hearts and cursed all their enemies, that's just not what we have in the Old Testament narrative, okay? So that's, that's the real struggle uh, with that view. All right, now I'll pause for any more thoughts or questions before we go to the next passage in Jeremiah. Sorry, I know I'm going fast. Yes, very good. Yeah, in, De- in Deuteronomy 4, it says latter days, there will be this restoration. So then you've got to make, what, 400-something B.C. be latter days. That's a, also a bit of a challenge, yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes, constantly when God talks about this restoration in the latter days, it's always like the biggest thing ever. It, it says explicitly in Jeremiah 23, bigger than the Exodus. So you've got to squeeze that into their return from captivity. And that's really, really hard to do. Yeah. Yes, that's one of Matthew Waymeyer's points is you've got these prophets, minor prophets that lived after the return and they're still talking about a restoration. Okay, so you've got to figure that out. There are just a lot of challenges to that view. Okay. All right, Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 3 through 9 is the next passage we'll look at. And eventually we will get to the new covenant. That's right here, this one. Okay, so we will get to that before we finish tonight. But uh, we should read this passage, Jeremiah 30, 3 through 9. Who can read that for us? Okay, go ahead, Stacy. I forgot to say this one isn't updated to the politically correct 21st century transgender movement. Sorry. Okay. Okay, lots to see there besides the uh, politically incorrect stuff, you know. Um, Here's how you can sum this up. At at this point now, Jeremiah is prophesying of this promise of Israel's and Judah's restoration. Remember in chapter 29, we're just talking about Judah because where's Israel? Off, gone. It's been a couple hundred years since Israel, the northern kingdom, had their business with Assyria. And so now, We're bringing in the northern kingdom again, and God's saying, not just you, Judah, but this northern kingdom also. You're both coming back to be restored. Now, let's go 150 years. Let's say 150 years. 150 years ago in America, it was 1873, if I did my math correctly, quickly. 
just uh, nine years removed, eight years removed from the Civil War. Uh, that was a long time ago. And imagine somebody saying, we're going to go back to the way it was in 1873. We'd say, no. <laughs> we would all say amen. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no. <laughs> Those of us who are good at gardening would say amen. The rest of us who are dependent on Walmart would get nervous. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we'd say just no, no way. I mean, those days are long gone, long gone. And surely they thought the same thing with Israel, that northern kingdom, long gone, right? But God's saying, no, you're going into captivity, and that's going to last 70 years. You're going to be scattered among the nations. And, you know, there's going to be a, a coming a day where I'm bringing you both back into this land and going to restore that had to seem like way out there as far as in the realm of possibilities. But before they will all come back, they will have to go through trouble. Look at verse 7. You know, after talking about the men in Israel being like women in birth, it says there's this special time. What's this special time called in verse 7? Yeah, Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress. There's a continued period of judgment from God upon Israel in these latter times. So you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom going through this alike. It's not just talking about this Babylonian captivity that the southern kingdom's facing. It's talking about a collective distress for all Israelites, a time of Jacob's trouble. Remember, Jacob is Israel. He's the one whose name was changed to Israel. So all of his offspring count as Jacob, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, tribe of Nephtali, tribe of Ephraim, whatever. All of them are going to go through this time of distress. But after that day, we read, they will have rest from all their enemies and they will serve God. And who else are they serving in verse 9? Oh my, David. Wow, that's curious. And then it goes on to list uh, details of this restoration. If you just run your eyes over the rest of chapter 30, you can just see that God's making promise after promise after promise. All of these promises have meaning. God's not just saying willy-nilly all these details that don't mean anything. These are details that mean something. If God says it, it means something. And so he's making all these promises about what that time will be like when they are restored. Okay? Thoughts or questions on that passage? Ah, someone is going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there are two ways of looking at this. Uh, one is to say, David, David, the David, as it were. And the other way would say the son of David, that this is a reference to Jesus. Okay. So um, you have in Ezekiel 40 uh, that we looked at last time. Remember the sons of Zadok business and the priests? The sons of Zadok are going to be priests in the Messianic kingdom that is coming, making their sacrifices as instructed by God. And one of the things that Tyler brought up last week was, since this will be post-resurrection, those could be maybe not even like new Israelites, but Israelites from before who are now resurrected and in the millennium performing these duties. Same thing could be happening with David here. Or it could mean Jesus. So... Yeah. I think that makes it difficult Yeah. Yeah, the, but the problem is Ezekiel gets even more detailed. Uh, so you've got Jeremiah here mentioning David briefly, and then you read Ezekiel, which Tyler will get to next week, and uh, it, gets, it gets more detailed. He, he, Ezekiel mentions David multiple times that David's going to be reigning. Uh, okay, so he also says, I mean, there are also promises that tie... Uh, Jesus to the root of Jesse, um, the son of David. So people, you just have to make your choice on that, okay? I'm not going to fight you either way. It's a tough one. It says David, but it could mean Jesus. Okay? Any other thoughts or questions? <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to that covenant, huh? That new covenant. In Jeremiah 31... A passage we've read already in this class, a passage that I'm sure you've got highlighted, starred, dog-eared, all that stuff in your Bible. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 
to 37. That's where we'll stop for tonight. Seven verses from Jeremiah 31. Who can read that passage for us? 31 to 37. Okay, thanks, Mike. Okay, pretty hefty promise there that God gives. A promise of a new covenant. Now, who is this new covenant being made with? Yeah, explicitly with Israel and Judah. Okay, Uh, so collectively we can say Israel, but I think we do well to pay attention to every detail where God does say in verse 31, house of Israel and house of Judah. All right, so this isn't some sort of like vague thing. He's specifically saying uh, these two kingdoms will be brought back together. The, all the parts of Israel will come back together and this new covenant will be made with them. And explicitly in this passage, we are told it will be unlike the old covenant. Verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with them, uh, with their fathers, okay, through Moses. When they were delivered out of Egypt, and God came down on Mount Sinai and gave them the law, this will not be like that. It it explicitly will be different from the old covenant. So again, on that chart that I gave you last week, I kind of highlighted the box for old covenant and the box for new, because the new covenant is explicitly different from the old, even in such a way that it replaces the old. The new covenant replaces the old covenant. And all those other covenants, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the priestly covenant, the Davidic covenant, those are fulfilled in the new covenant. So the old one is replaced and the other ones find their fulfillment in the new. And this promise that God makes to Israel is rooted in his unchanging, everlasting love for whose offspring, according to verses 35 through 37, whose offspring? Yeah, and who was Israel? Who was Israel? Was Abraham Israel? Was Isaac Israel? Jacob. Jacob was Israel. So, I mean, this is another thing that I think is pretty important here too. uh, Because there will be some people who will say that, well, the church is Israel because we are sons of Abraham. If you go to Galatians 3, it says we have faith. We're sons of Abraham. Abraham wasn't Israel. Jacob's Israel. And so when God specifically says offspring of Israel or offspring of Jacob, he uses those interchangeably. You see it throughout the Old Testament. He will be faithful to Jacob. He'll be faithful to the offspring of Jacob. He's talking about a specific lineage, a physical lineage that was promised uh, all these restoration promises in the new covenant. Okay? So details matter. I want to define this new covenant based on this passage. Okay? There will be more in the coming weeks, but... Before I do that, any thoughts or questions on the text here? So, in the context, we're talking about we're of the family of Abraham by faith. Yes. Yeah, we are sons of Abraham. We are identified as Abraham was as believers. That's how we have an identity correspondence with Abraham. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so we are sons of Abraham because we believe like he believed. And we're justified by faith as he was justified by faith. That is not a a replacing of an entire ethnicity with a a spiritual metaphor, as some people make it out to be. And and some people who will say, uh, you know, we're Israel because we're offspring of Abraham. I say, well, is, is, is Ishmael Israel? Because he's, he's actual offspring of Abraham, isn't he? And God says explicitly, the, he has promises for Ishmael. He tells Ishmael, you're going to be great. But he's not the covenant child. The covenant child is Isaac. And then the offspring of Jacob, which come from Isaac, they're the ones who are the covenant people. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't my point, but, hey, you know, hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. Sure. Okay. All right. Yes, yes, 
exactly right. Yeah, Edom is not Israel, clearly. Okay, if, if you read your Old Testament, one thing you'll walk away with is Edom is not Israel, okay? Uh, even though they're both offspring of Isaac. Very interesting, okay? Well, let's define the new covenant based on what we see in Jeremiah 31. Again, this is the first passage that we have uh, on the new covenant in the Old Testament. And we don't want to define the new covenant by whatever our pre-understandings are. We all come in to every conversation with pre-understandings of things. Let's focus on the text. Look at the word and see what was promised uh, by God. So what is national Israel promised uh, in this new covenant? From 31 to, you could really go down to 40, but what are some things that they're promised here? Not all at once. Okay. Good. There will be an internalization of the law, won't there? The law will be internalized, just like through osmosis, it seems. It's just like instant, okay? And what else that's like paired with that? Good. Everyone will know God. That's a sweet promise. Everybody in Israel knowing God. You don't need to go neighbor to neighbor, house to house, and inform. There's this internalization of the law, this knowledge of God that exists comprehensively, it seems, in Israel. Okay, what else? Very good. There is a total forgiveness of sins. That's a great promise, isn't it? Okay, I'm glad one of, or two of us think so. All right, so there's a total forgiveness of sins. And one that's not here, on, we're on the spiritual side here. Um, I'm just going to write the Holy Spirit. It's in Ezekiel. We'll get to that probably next week. The Holy Spirit will come. That's a promise of this uh, new covenant. You see that in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 36 and 37. Talk about that, okay? So, Spiritual elements to this new covenant, internalization of the law, everyone knowing God, forgiveness of sins, and the promised Holy Spirit, okay? But there's also a physical aspect to this too, is there not? God puts right in there, like almost mixed in with the spiritual blessings, some physical blessings. And what do those look like here? Okay, yep, so he's upholding his order of the universe. I, I think maybe the main physical blessings that we may have stopped short, 38 through 40 is where it really gets into that. Uh, what, what will they be doing with the cities? Okay, what else? Yes, the... Yep, measuring line will go out straight ahead to... All these different places, uh, the valley of the dead bodies, that doesn't sound like a blessing, but uh, that's a part of God's plan, isn't it? Um, and so all these things are going to be restored, these, these physical uh, places. These are names that they recognized and elements to the city that they would have instinctively recognized. Um, if you read more, let's see. Yeah, I wrote these notes down but didn't write verse references next to them. Go to 33 with me, chapter 33. And let's look at um, verses 12 to 12 and 13. Someone want to read that for us? Okay, so in this restoration and the rebuilding of the cities, what's going to be happening agriculturally? What was that? Yeah. Yeah, there will be great agricultural blessings. And uh, there will be uh, farming blessings. There will be uh, ranch blessings. You'll have, all, you'll have cattle. You'll have sheep. You'll have all sorts of stuff going on where God's going to send rain. He's going to make their vineyards uh, just be very fruitful. There will be all kinds of uh, amazing physical blessings happening through the land and through the animals. 
There will also be peace and safety in that land. Uh, So no threat of enemies coming and ruining it again. You know, that's, that's like Israel's whole story of the Old Testament, is they have something good, but then enemies come and beat up on them, and then they lose it. That's what happens over and over again. Well, there will be peace and safety in the land, and uh, never again will they be overtaken by their enemies. And if you have headings in your Bible, perhaps you have a heading over verse 14 of chapter 33. What does your heading say? What was that? Good, good. Yeah, there will be this Davidic kingdom happening then too, right? A great and mighty kingdom. Remember, Tyler spent a couple weeks telling us about the Davidic covenant and this promise that David will always have a kingdom, he will always have a house, he will always have a throne. Well, how is that going to be fulfilled? It'll be fulfilled in the new covenant when Israel is restored in their land. How is that promise going to be realized that God gives Israel? Well, it will happen in their land whenever they're restored through this new covenant. Okay, so it's not just spiritual blessings, but it's physical blessings as well. Okay, it's both. Now, you may say, um, what about us? <laughs> That's a legitimate question. What, here we are. We're not the house of Israel. We're not the house of Judah. Okay, um, but we say we're in covenant with God. We say even we're experiencing, enjoying, benefiting from the new covenant. So what is the deal? Because when you look at this, we've got this going on, and we've got this going on. But uh, that's like about it, isn't it? <laughs> that's pretty much it. We've, we have these two things happening. But we, I mean, it would have to be a stretch to say that the law has been internalized. Okay, uh, you still have to study your Bible, don't you? And uh, even then, would you say that the law is just there? No, it's not, okay? Um, and you'd have to define law. And everyone knowing God, uh, we, we're in the church where we have the wheat and the tares growing up together. If you try to apply it to our country, that definitely doesn't work. But So applying it to the church doesn't work. What do we do? Well, yeah, so let me uh, read to you a passage from... The Bible Knowledge Commentary on Jeremiah 31, I thought this was well put, by Charles Dyer, is the guy who wrote the commentary on Jeremiah 31, as he makes application to the church. He says, how is the church related to the new covenant? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Is the new covenant being fulfilled in the church today? Ultimately, the new covenant will find its complete fulfillment during the millennium when Israel is restored to her God. The new covenant was made with Israel, Jeremiah 31. That's what we just read. Just as the Mosaic covenant had been. One key element of the new covenant is the preservation of Israel as a nation. However, though the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant awaits the millennial reign of Christ, the church today is participating in some of the benefits of that covenant. The covenant was inaugurated at Christ's death. And he cites Matthew 26 and Luke 22 here. What did Jesus say about his death in the new covenant? Do you remember? You should remember because we say it almost every second Sunday of the month. Yeah, communion. What did Jesus say when he took the cup? Yes. Okay. What did he say about the blood specifically? This is the new covenant of my blood, or this is my blood of the covenant. Okay, okay. So now we have the new covenant touching the church, don't we? Because we're taking communion every Sunday, or not every Sunday, but every month. We're taking communion, and we're saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. Doop. Right, so we're, there's touching going on with this promise made to Israel now touching us. He writes, the church, by her union with Christ, is sharing in many of the spiritual blessings promised to Israel including the new covenant. But though the church's participation in the new covenant is real, it is not the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. The fact that believers today enjoy the spiritual blessings of the new covenant, forgiveness of sins and the indwelling Holy Spirit, that does not mean that spiritual and physical blessings will not be realized by Israel. That still awaits the day 
when Israel will acknowledge her sin and turn to the Messiah for forgiveness. Some Bible scholars, however, take a slightly different view, and then he goes on to talk about the other view that we can, we'll address later on. But that's, I thought, thought was a good summation of how we see this in the Bible, where we have been grafted in, haven't we? Does that mean we utterly replace what was there before? No, it does not. That's not the language Paul uses. It means we share in the blessings. And that doesn't mean we usurp all the blessings, but we share in what God has for us. And so the new covenant has been inaugurated with the death of Christ. The blood of his covenant was poured out. And we're sharing in the blessings that come from that that God has for us, namely total forgiveness of sins and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we can be called ministers of a new covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, we just went over that. We are ministers of a new covenant. But at the same time, we recognize it hasn't been ultimately fulfilled because this is just one passage on it in the Old Testament. And look how much we're still awaiting uh, for fulfillment here. All right, so you kind of have to hold that balance. Inaugurated, but not fulfilled. Okay? Thoughts or questions on that? Okay. I'm going to give you two passages if you're taking notes to write down. We'll probably only be able to look at one of them. But one of them is Isaiah 49, 1-13. to That's okay, yeah. Isaiah 49, 1-13. through And the other passage is Ezekiel 16. It's really the whole chapter, but it's especially verses 60 to 63. Ezekiel 16, 60 through 63. These are two very interesting passages that touch on the new covenant more uh, implicitly than explicitly. Let's go to Ezekiel. Let's go to the Ezekiel passage. Next book after Jeremiah, Ezekiel chapter 16. And again, we will just be able to touch on this. But one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Ezekiel 16. God is telling the story to Israel about how they came to be. And He doesn't paint Israel in a uh, very pretty light. He makes it known to them that they are not self-sufficient, that they did not make themselves, but He's the one who established them. He eventually gets to the point in the story where He basically uh, becomes their husband. He enters into covenant with them, is the way he describes it. And um, he, he has a special relationship through covenant with them. But the story starts out with God saying, you were a bloody baby lying along the road, wallowing in your blood. Not self-sufficient at all, right? And God comes along, picks them up, cleans, cleans her up, and raises her and takes her as his own. Well, let's start in verse 6. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Someone who doesn't blush easily, go ahead and read uh, verses 6 to 8 of Ezekiel 16. Is Brittany, is that you? No. (laughs) One of the rices will. All right, so a pretty detailed imagery about God joining himself to Israel. But look at the end of verse 8 there. I swore to you, I entered into a covenant with you, so that you became mine. This is God's nation. This is a people who belongs to God. Israel is God's inheritance, Scripture says. So um, these people belong to him. And it's because of covenant. There's the explicit language in verse 8. He entered into covenant with them. There's no reversing this. And we know there's no reversing this because the story goes on. She grows up and gets pretty full of herself. And she goes out and she cats around. And as God says in this imagery, she plays the whore. And she goes off and participates in all of her prostitution. So what's God going to do? Is he going to kill her? Well, no, he's not. Because he's patient, faithful, gracious, full of mercy and love. He's just, but he's also abounding in covenant love, loving kindness. So let's drop down to verse 60 now, and let's read these verses, 60 to 63, and look at what God says is going to happen here. 
Ezekiel 16, verse 60. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your, of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you may remember and be ashamed, and never open your mouth any more because of your humiliation, when I have forgiven you for all that you have done, declares the Lord God. So God owns Israel. They are His covenant people. And despite her continual rejection of Him, He will remember His covenant and will establish a new covenant with them. You see that in verse 60? He talks about two covenants. He says, I will remember my covenant with you and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. So I think what we have is the old covenant and the new covenant going on here. Isn't that cool? And uh, you've got this sister's language. I think this is uh, Samaria and Sodom. That's an interesting study that you can have on your own. It's uh, very interesting, but we're not going to go there tonight. But it leads to, as we're reading in Jeremiah, sins being atoned for, sins being forgiven, this knowledge of God, this union with God and a new covenant, resulting in humility for Israel. Israel will not be catting around anymore, but Israel will be totally joined to God in humility and it'll be in this new covenant, all right? Good deal. So check out Isaiah 49. That's a good one to, to look at. But that's where I'll stop tonight. Stacy. So that's in chapters 36, well, mainly chapter 36, but into 37 also. And uh, we'll get to that, I'm sure, either next week or the week after. So, yeah, Melissa. Hey, uh, Logan. Would you mind asking the, that whole group over there to come in here? Yeah. Thanks. Melissa. <laughs> yeah. Law of Moses, what it seems like to me. I don't know any reason why we would insert any other law in there since that's what they would understand it to mean. God used language that they would understand. So, yeah. Now, there is an aspect that you could maybe try to say that we have... Uh, the internalization of the law of Christ in the same way. But then you've got to define internalization and law of Christ, which tends to be a little difficult. You can always define it in ways that makes it seem like, okay, yeah, that works for now, but you have to have the scriptural backing, which is always the challenge. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so you've got, uh, again, going back to Ezekiel in those 40s chapters, you have sacrifices being made. And uh, you have at the end of uh, Zechariah, Zechariah 14, the Feast of Tabernacles being observed by Egyptians. What's that about? Well, that's because God's law is still around in the Messianic kingdom, in the New Covenant. Okay. Other thoughts or questions? Okay, fun stuff. Good. Hope this has been a good study for us, examining the covenants. Very, very important.